Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the best, this is where the best run. We always say it and we always mean it. Let's see what the buzz on the street, or I should say the buzz in the universe is today. I have a quote from computerworld.com. Listen up. Big data. Oh, we all know that. Big data is a familiar term in most of the business world, and companies large and small are scrambling still to take advantage of it. Data exhaust. Ah, everybody listen up. There's a new term on the street. Data exhaust is less widely known. It tends to be raw and unstructured and even bigger. Uh Uh-oh, in some ways, it's an evil twin brother. Oh, my. End of the quote. So let me tell you a little bit of background. While humans began encountering large volumes of data back in 1932, we didn't even, I don't know if we had the word data back then, NASA coined the phrase big data in 1997 when it first appeared in an article by two of their researchers. That was then, this is now. The data quake, that may be a new term to many of you, upon us is too big to ignore. As well as everything around us, also we have data exhaust. More than 10 billion devices are interconnected, and the number of connections per second, I didn't say per minute, number of connections per second will probably reach an unmeasurable amount as 5G becomes pervasive in our lives. So decades of data, which is now training machine learning, plus new data. And listen, you may have a health device, you may have a tracker. There are data from trees, data from livestock, data from gas pumps, data from your retail shelves, data from the smart clothing you're wearing or have in your house and you wear once in a while, manufacturing devices, bridges, and smart farms. This will overhaul the data processing infrastructure and petabytes of data versus terabytes will become the norm. It's Big. We'll ask Sham V. Nath at Oracle, Aaron Werman at TechWave, and Gerard Doss at SAP for their insights on our topic today. It's an exciting topic. Big data journey, data quake, human data exhaust, and now machine learning. Welcome, Bonnie in the house, Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table. I am on Zoom. I can see my three panelists. They're all smiling. I think they're smiling. Very happy to be here. I got us. Always, that always works. I wish our listeners could see us, but I can, and that's important. So we're having an enhanced radio experience. Sham V. Nath, welcome. And why don't you please take a couple minutes to introduce yourself, tell everybody what you do. And Sham, what's your passion for this topic? What's your overview? Go ahead, Sham. Thank you, Bonnie I'm Sham Nath. I work for Oracle on cloud infrastructure. My background is in IoT. While I was working at GE, I wrote a book called Architecting the Industrial Internet. So I'm very passionate about use of big data and IoT, especially in the industrial world. Um, one of my uh, favorite quotes related to big data is, variety is the spice of life. And in big data, we talk about the variety of data, and that enriches the experience from a technology perspective. Thank you. You stole my thunder. We didn't get to the opening quotes yet, and that's your quote, but I'll explain the background and where that comes from, which may surprise a lot of people. Sean, question for you. I mentioned in my intro from the article in Computer World that big data, we have big data. Data exhaust may be big data's evil twin brother, maybe sister. I don't know. you have any comments on that? Agree or disagree? <clears throat> 
Big data always creates a needle in the haystack problem. And this data exhaust makes it even more complex. It's very hard to figure out what data we really need to keep, um, or what data adds to the noise, whereas at the same time, data may have value in the future that we don't know. And that creates this data conundrum where it's very hard to zero in on what's useful today, what may be useful tomorrow, and what is the exhaust, what is the noise, and how do we navigate through that? Thank you, Sham. Welcome to the show. Happy to have you here. And let's go to our second panelist sitting around the virtual roundtable next to Sham. It's Aaron Werman at TechWave. Aaron, welcome. And please tell us Hi, who Colin. you are. And what's your take on the topic? Go ahead. So I I lead uh, data analytics uh, competency for North America for a systems integrator, TechWave. And I, I just love this whole data quake thing for one particular reason is I've, I've, lived, I've I basically worked data my entire career and a long career, I might add. And in general, what happens with computer stuff, with technology is it becomes static and moribund and just exhausting. And the data before things like digital transformation and IoT and these kind of things that just change everything would shift gradually over time from business-driven things to just sort of compliance and doing things for their own sake. IoT changes everything. You don't do IoT as a tech initiative. You do it as a business change. And the data around IoT is fundamentally interesting, and it fundamentally overpowers the data warehouses and the data lakes of the world. And so from a data perspective, you know, it's a love story. It's something fundamental. It gives you some ability to change the world, to change your business, to actually be impactful in a way that you want to do in the data world, but often miss. So I'm a happy camper in the IoT world. Thank you very much. Aaron, what do you think about data exhaust? And you used exhausting, and I hope that was a pun intended. Is, is it an evil twin? Is there something I, I understand that it's, it's everywhere? It's coming out of almost everything. It's a byproduct, a secondary of, of all of our data emitting everything, devices and clothes and infrastructure and surroundings. So is it evil? It's not evil. It's dangerous. I mean, it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, you know, we all know the privacy concerns and all those uh, uh, those things, and they're real. And uh, I'm sure I have ten devices in this tiny little lake cabin that are being that are completely suspect in terms of ability to be hacked by governments and so on and so forth. So. So there is danger there. But at the same time, uh, this is the world we live in. And fundamentally, you can't do things. You can't do medical innovation without data. You can't do industrial innovation without IIoT. So, so basically, it's a tool, and tools can be dangerous, and tools can be misused. And a lot of people die in car accidents without or with uh, IoT autonomous vehicles. 
Thank you, Aaron. A lot to look forward to learning from you. And now let's move around to our third panelist, Gerard Doss at SAP. Gerard, it's been a couple of years since we've had the pleasure of working on radio together. So welcome back. And there, and he's smiling. I love it when Gerard smiles. <laughs> That's an inside information. Gerard, please reintroduce yourself in case, and listen, for repeat guests, I always say this, Gerard, in case there's one person in the world who doesn't remember who you are from your last visit to Game Changers Radio, please tell them who you are, what you're doing now, and what's your take on our topic. Gerard, welcome. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Bonnie, for inviting me to the show. I've been in big data since 2010 uh, when I was introducing it uh, to Wall Street, to a very suspicious Wall Street who could not believe that I was selling snake oil and trying to tell them that this is grand technology which will help your analytic efforts because these are all data-driven companies. So I've been in this space for about 10 years. I have the privilege of working with Aaron on, when he was at First Data and he was my customer. And now I am part of the SAP Center of Excellence for Big Data and Machine Learning. That is who I am. Thank you very much. And what, what's your thought, Gerard, about this concept of, we're talking about data exhaust. It's a new term to me, as long as I've been doing these shows, first time I've heard that, uh, in the thought that it's, it's exhausting, that it's uh, an evil twin, and Aaron said that it is dangerous. What's your thought on that, Gerard? Yeah, I, th I think uh, we were unprepared for this onslaught of data. Uh, we are getting data thrown at us from all sides. Previously, when you when uh, people were talking about data, it was usually entered by users, and users can only enter a limited amount of data. And now there are machines which are generating data. So that's the big difference. But I think the time has come to bridge the physical and the digital world. I would like my microwave to toast my bagel based on voice and it's not there yet. So I'm really welcome this bridge and about the dangers. Yes, there is concept of artificial in intelligence insurance. Now companies may take out insurance because of accidents and wrong credit decisions being enforced on them by some artificial intelligence model running in the background. So, yes, like Aaron said, it is both a welcome asset to have. It makes life simpler. It makes life more comfortable, especially during this time. At the same time, there is a big pillar to be addressed, which is ethics, compliance, and safety and security. So uh, everything in life is a, is a double-edged sword. And so I feel that I feel that this is the case here, and it will take some time for us to sort all those out. Thank you very much. Big data on the horizon. We're living with it. Okay. This is the part of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote that on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And we had a little sneak peek at Sham Nod's quote because he used it in his introduction. I love that, Sham. Let me read a little background and then we'll dive into a little more on why you, why you selected it. The quote is from William Cowper's poem, The Task, written in 1785. And The Task is a poem in in six books. It's a poem in what's called Blank Verse, published in 1785, usually seen as Cowper's supreme achievement. Its six books are called The Sofa, The Timepiece, The Garden, 
the winter evening, the winter morning walk, and the winter walk at noon. And what's interesting is uh, four years earlier in 1781, he met a sophisticated and charming widow named Lady Austin, not Jane, who inspired new poetry. Cowper tells of the genesis of what some have considered his most substantial work, the task in his advertisement to the original edition in 1785. Just let me read this. A lady fond of blank verse demanded a poem of that kind from the author and gave him the sofa for a subject. He obeyed and having much leisure connected another subject with it and pursuing the train of thought to which his situation and turn of mind led him brought forth at length instead of the trifle, which he first at first intended, a serious affair, a volume. That is so charming, John. That is so, so charming. That's called the muse. She was his muse. So here is the quote. Variety is the very spice of life that gives it all its flavor. Sham, now tell us again, but expand a little bit more. What did you, uh, what did you intend when you picked this quote? Go ahead. Yeah, let me point uh, earlier. Someone said uh, data used to be entered by humans. We go years ago, that was our scope of enterprise data. The only variety was maybe data from finance, data from HR, but data was very limited in scope. And businesses realized that although that was very useful data, there was no data exhaust, but we were missing out on the interaction with the customers. How, how did the customers purchase? Where did they purchase from? How much time they spent in the retail store? Did they go around walking before purchasing? And these kind of information was deemed very useful. So we made our life complex. We said we need variety of data, whether it's the social interaction of the customers or actual interaction on the website, the click stream data. So that's the variety which keeps our professional lives interesting. Of course, it brings up challenges as well. And that's why I thought that quote applied here very well. Uh, it's uh, the change in the nature of data and the architecture that keeps the data professional's life interesting and keeps us on our feet to add, think of ways to add value from these variety of uh, data sources. And this evolution continues. Uh, you, first, we started with enterprise data. We added humans, uh, social interaction data, then came machines, and, and this evolution continues and keeps us on our feet. And Sean, I love... Uh, ahead, Sean, I absolutely love your choosing a poet who is famous for being institutionalized as your lead on the topic of data exhaust, because we can look at all of the extraneous data and the voices in his head as a direct metaphor for the topic of the day. It's perfect. Thank you, Aaron. And I want to comment. I took that out of the bio, but he was institutionalized for insanity. But in a letter Robert Burns wrote, is not the task a glorious poem? The religion of the task baiting of, well, he talks about God and nature. He, Robert Burns loved the poem so much that he walked around with a copy of the task in his pocket. That's how popular it was. So there you go. Today we have all of our poems in our pocket if it's on our mobile device. There we go. Aaron Werman, you're up next. Aaron has sent us a quote from Kate Wolf. Let me read background here. Kate Wolf born Catherine Louise Allen. 
1942, very short life, passed away in 1986, was an American folk singer and songwriter. She had a significant impact on the folk music scene, and many musicians continue to cover her songs, best known. Uh, Compositions include Here in California, Love Still Remains, Across the Great Divide, Unfinished Life, and Give Yourself to Love. And she died after a long battle with leukemia. The Folk Music Association, World Folk Music Association, established the Kate Wolf Award to honor her memory. Now, Erin has picked a line of just four very simple words I'll read in a moment from her song, Carolina Pines. I'm going to read some lyrics, and then I'll emphasize the line, if that's okay with you, Erin, because I want to... Put in context, just an old house with the roof fallen in, standing on the edge of the field, watching the crops grow like it's always done before. Nobody lives here anymore. The sun's going down on the Carolina pines. I'm a long way from home. I miss that love of mine, broken windows, empty doors. Nobody lives here anymore. Old memories come whistling like the wind through the walls and the cracked window panes, and the grass is growing high around the kitchen door. Nobody lives here anymore. Give me goosebumps, Aaron. Aaron, how did you pick this yeah. one? How did you find it? So, first of all, I I, I love her. I, lo- I love female folk singers anyway, but she actually speaks to me. And it's there are certain things that she's done which really resonate in the COVID times. And, and a lot of my work these days is companies pivoting because of retail challenges with uh, – COVID changes in the economy and stuff like that. And and those type of things where people are trying to absorb change or trying to react to change and see what tools they have to use the history as prelude to, to put things together in a way that makes sense for the business or for their personal life uh, in these challenging times is is valuable it's interesting it's useful also thank you very much i appreciate that and thank you for introducing me to kate wolf i had no idea it was a beautiful and very nostalgic and very sad it's a poem basically the the lyrics are a poem thank you aaron gerard you're up next and gerard has sent me a quote that he says is from muhammad ali i couldn't find it and i think it's a parody on the real quote so gerard Forgive me, uh, Muhammad Ali, born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., 1942 to 2016, American professional boxer, activist, and philanthropist, nicknamed the greatest, widely regarded as one of the most significant and celebrated sports figures of the 20th century and one of the greatest boxers of all time. He was voted the greatest athlete of the 20th century by Sports Illustrated, Sports Personality of the Century by the BBC. That's interesting. The third greatest athlete of the 20th century by ESPN Sports Century. He was famous for trash talking. He often freestyled rhyme schemes and spoken word poetry. And I didn't know this, but he was a musician. He received two Grammy nominations. He was an actor and he wrote two autobiographies. He retired from boxing in 1981 and focused on religion and charity. Now here's the line that Gerard sent me. I will give that. And then here's the line I found and you can reconcile them for me, Gerard. Thank you. The line he sent me is dance like a butterfly, sip like it's tea. Couldn't find that. And the one that is famous from Muhammad Ali is float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. So Gerard, which one is it? Uh, this, uh, this is an isolated quote that Muhammad Ali uh, uh, spun up when he was visiting the famous West Indian team, which was once upon the greatest cricket team at Lords, which is the Mecca of cricket. And he was sitting in the dressing room he was taking the cricket bats and he was mimicking his boom, boom style of boxing. 
And that's when they offered him tea in the classic English tradition. And that's when he coined this phrase. It's only known to cricket people like me. I love it. Dance like a butterfly, sip like it's tea. Now do me a favor, relate that to our topic. We've got data, big data. We've got data exhaust. We've got data coming out of everything around us. So what, is it the butterfly or the tea? I want to know the analogy. I, I think it's both. We are all dancing like butterflies. Um, and the tea relates to a supply chain problem which is being overhauled right now. Everything is getting disrupted. World politics is getting is changing supply lines. I had a disastrous two months with the, the quality of tea coming in from uh, India. And I don't know what happened. I picked it up from a uh, store on Bleecker Street. And then I had to change suppliers and so forth. I do not know what really happened. This is the first experience in all my life. And giving me a bad cup of tea, you might as well shoot me in the head the first thing in the morning, right? That is my only addiction. And so uh, I was wondering what is going on with the supply chain? Uh, what's going on with quality? And then it somehow rectified itself because I went to an alternative supplier. And I'm talking about the dynamic nature of big data, which is monitoring stuff across supply chain. It's a very SAP kind of a problem that we're looking at. And it's all, what visibility do you have into your supply chain and the quality of the supply chain? And that's how I pulled up the quote. And so both things are related. We are dancing right now. We don't know. We don't know what the future will bring. Until we settle down, we, we, uh, we are all guessing for the next three months and six months and a lot of big talk on TV, but we don't know. Thank you, Gerard. Fascinating. And I'm glad you found the source because I couldn't figure where it was. I didn't find it. And I appreciate that. Having tea with the cricket team. What a better way to spend a day for Muhammad Ali. Thank you very much. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my panelists to please send me a couple of statements on their take, their insights on our topic. And if you're just tuning in, this is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented, of course, by SAP, one of our longest running series, been with me for seven years, seven seasons. And our topic today is the big data journey, data quake, human data exhaust, and now machine learning. There we go. And my very special guests are Sean V. Nath from Oracle, Aaron Werman at TechWave, and Gerard Das at SAP. And I'm still Barney in the house. How about that? So Sean has sent me the following. Let's pick a statement here from your list, Sean. And um, let's see. Um, I think we're going to go with statement three. I think that would be very interesting for our listeners. So Sham said, some humans have twins who look similar and often have similar capabilities. This led to the concept of digital twins of machines, which can be used to predict the behavior of the physical asset using its virtual representation. However, in full circle, we're now considering the concept of human digital twins. I'm going to stop there. And Sham, why don't you expand this for us, please? And then we'll go around the table and find out what Aaron says about this. And then Gerard. Go ahead, Sean. Yes, so we are all familiar with the concept of humans having identical twins, fraternal twins. And especially the identical twins, there has been many studies that even when the twins have been, um, they were raised separately, they typically have very similar IQ levels, similar qualities. So this concept of digital twin has been instrumental in taking this concept to the physical world, uh, complex assets, whether it's an aircraft or a power plant or a, a 
generator and a large utility uh, company. These are complex assets. We power our infrastructure and we cannot afford any downtime for them. So any amount of modeling research behind them is money well spent. So people took this, physicists and data scientists took this concept of twin of humans and applied it to twin of machines where a virtual representation of the physical complex physical asset and its processes exists on the computer and it is enriched by one how the asset is built the mechanics of it and how it is behaving by taking the sensor data from the sensors with that which are either inside the asset or have been retrofitted on the surface or in the surroundings so this has been a well established at least in recent years a concept that adds value to internet of things through predictive maintenance through concepts like operational efficiency of uh, complex assets and essentially reducing their downtime changing their unscheduled downtime to more planned downtime so that there are no disruptions to things around these assets now the same concept is being applied to or it's in early stages to humans whether you call it human digital twin medical digital twin personal digital twin you will come across many of these terms which is essentially to model the human being as a physical entity collect continuous information around it it's going to be in my opinion it's going to be a wonderful replacement for the charts that exist for us a medical charts in our doctor's office it's a lot of um, data from all different sources some handwritten notes the doctor's impressions the interview with the patients some lab reports it's very unstructured and that is taking a toll on the healthcare and medical industry so in my opinion this concept of digital twin will help to model an individual human how to organize the information around them and that will obviously include big data data exhaust and over time we will learn to read out what is noise versus what is really useful thank you very much um let's go around the table aaron worman join us agree or disagree or add some color or flavor to what sham just shared go ahead aaron uh, now i'm concerned am are we talking to sham or the avatar of sham <laughs> could be could be any anything else you want to add aaron so so these things are wonderful so i, I work a lot on this kind of data science ai try to try to use the data to create a model thing and the issue always is do you trust the model and the model is a moving target and so on and so forth and so we see things like sham saying i i sorry i personally in, in my practice see these things in iot in the in the controlled ecosystem of a business that's monitoring itself that controls the devices and stuff like that you know it would be fascinating to see this in healthcare and uh that would be absolutely amazing and scary at the same time i mean yeah you know, uh, you know it's going to take a while to evolve but uh, i think sham is right i mean basically as soon as we do that i think we're going to see healthcare become a global industry instead of a local industry for example 
Thank you. Gerard, join us, please. A couple of things. Uh, the word digital twin. I recently got a Roomba, the one which is self-emptying and so forth. And for the first time, I've had other Roombas and other vacuum cleaners. This builds a smart map. It's building a digital twin of what, what's in the room. It meets, it chunks, it breaks up the big space into many spaces. It identifies the optical thing and it takes training. So Aaron, I'm training this Roomba to recognize objects and so forth. It's building a neat map. It takes time. It needs several training runs. But finally, it's getting smarter at how it cleans and what it cleans. And then I don't have to hear my wife saying, eh, I could have done it with a mop in five minutes. Look at your room, all these fancy toys you buy. So that's <laughs> one thing that, uh, uh, that I really like on the digital uh, twin. Uh, I think the world will be lost about modeling. We can't develop new aircraft. We can't develop new drones without the concept of modeling. Uh, and modeling has biases because of creators, what they believe in, what they don't believe in, and so on and so forth. But I think we, given the cost of living, given the cost of building real-world objects, modeling saves a lot of time. It may not be accurate. We know that. And the data scientist's job when building models is I actually look at it as until tired, keep running it. Until tired, keep running it. And so it's a big thing. I know we are not, uh, we need a lot of data. Hopefully we'll change. Deep learning doesn't need as much as data as the other pieces. But I think we're getting there slowly in bits and pieces. Uh, and uh, uh, look, uh, I wish we could just build 15 different aircraft and fly test it and so forth. We can't afford to. These things cost. And therefore, I think digital twins are here to stay. Uh, from uh, And every path of life is going to adopt a digital twin. Uh, God bless if they adopt, if they create a digital twin uh, of me, that would be big trouble. Uh, but otherwise, I think it's a useful thing to have. Those are my comments. Thank you very much. Sham, anything you want to add back to your two co-panelists about this before I move on? I think uh, they summarized it well. The concept of twin will um, percolate to other industries and um, it will continue to get refined. Thank you very much. Aaron Werman, I'm looking at your statement number two. A little provocative here. Let's see where we're going to go with it. Aaron told me before the show, IoT, Internet of Things, often causes a business disconnect because it doesn't behave like other activities. It is instructive to look at how IoT and data, data lakes it lives in fit into overall business goals, and he puts quotes around business goals beyond the sponsor. Aaron, I'm going to use a term they have on the news. Can you please unpack this for us? Aaron Werman, go ahead. Yeah, so so IoT is fascinating because it's a big investment. It's basically an upheaval within a business. You're you're actually trying to turn data into something meaningful. And it's an expensive thing to do, especially before the five G that you mentioned, uh, which is going to be a game changer and it's going to turn IoT into IoT everywhere. But in the current state. IoT is a huge, huge disruption in the business. It's a change in how you do things, how you monitor things, how you monetize things, and how you manage things. And it 
really is instructive, especially because it typically takes a big business to do IoT, and big business doesn't respond well to change, and big business doesn't know how to use data effectively in most cases. And so if you sit on the triangle of a, a business proposition on the, on the one side, a technical data goal on the one side, and implementation on the one side, and you, you try to figure out how these things work together, you end up in this weird situation where the thing that you build in IoT tends to be a tiny, tiny subset of what you can do. I mean, the art of possible definitely happens in IoT, and you build something that is typically a minimum viable product, a small thing that's using a tiny subset of your sensor data to do something, and typically you're going to start doing stuff like preventive maintenance or whatever people do first with IoT. But that just opens a can of worms. I mean, at that point, you have the world available. You have that storm of data that maybe exhausts in one person's thinking, but it may turn into something that is incredibly fundamentally valuable for the business on another side. And that is the business proposition of IoT, where you can create something of use. So, uh, Bonnie, do you, do you see how the data, uh, that data exhaust turns into data of value over time? And that, that to me, is how a business turns IoT from a one-off into something that is fundamental to that business's proposition. Thank you, Aaron. Let's go around the table and see what your co-panelists have to say. Gerard Das, you are next. What do you think about what Aaron said? Agree or disagree? I agree with it. Uh, we have been in the same business together. And business, uh, the business processes are kind of set in stone. It's very hard to change them. Uh, and we struggle. Uh, you know, people can use data. They can build models. They can do a talk on the AI they want. Ultimately, how does it get used in business is always a tricky thing. So it's more, yes, IoT is part of the picture. I don't have much experience with IoT in the business world. Uh, uh, but, you know, we look at other kind of information where we sense sentiment, we do other stuff. To me, that's all IoT. Uh, and changing business process of legacy business and so forth is really hard. And Aaron has lived that life and he's a good candidate to talk about how resistant businesses are, even for someone, something that helps them, right? There's this notion that AI will take over the world. It's not, it's not going to happen for a long time. We may create a monster or two, but generally speaking, it won't. But if you can assist people in their jobs and make them more literate and make them enable them to take decisions faster, that would be a first case. I think AIT is very important. It sadly has come before 5G. 5G will make everything possible. And then we'll see a whole new set of businesses processes coming over. And hopefully culture will change. The younger generation will adopt business change faster than they are. I was talking to Priceline yesterday. And you know what? Their business is ramp is undergoing big change. People have want more information, 
on all fronts. So digitization, IoT, change of business process are all linked together. And uh, that is something that we have not chatted out yet. Thank you very much. Sham Nath, join us. What are your thoughts? Agree or disagree with anything we're talking about? Go ahead, Sham. Yeah, I, I agree that traditional businesses, especially industrial and manufacturing, they take a, it takes a lot to change them. However, we have seen born in cloud or new kind of businesses, they have taken advantage of this concept of connected uh, things or individuals. L let's take rideshare. Rideshare like Uber and Lyft works because the driver and the uh, ride, the passenger, they are connected through the app. Each person agrees to give out their location information and, and what their business need is, and that is used to combine uh, the two together. Um, likewise, Nest, uh, that, that's again a B2C scenario that has great potential to uh, increase the comfort level as well as save energy, which can ha have profound impact on the national economies. Now, talking about industrial manufacturing or established traditional companies, yes, they are struggling to monetize on IoT, but it is foundation of digital transformation for many of these the manufacturers have the advantage that they can instrument their physical assets, uh, at least the new generation ones, to provide the relevant data that, is, that can be used to make more uh, important decisions, especially in predictive maintenance or in case of uh, aircrafts, the fuel efficiency of the aircraft, th that has a lot of value ability to reduce uh, unscheduled downtime in the infrastructure, those things are, uh, they have big potential. And I think the industry is gradually moving in that direction where these IoT platforms are allowing the ability to harness the big data. And over time, whether it's through AI, whether it's through the physics-based models, we will learn how to harness that and monetize that but it's a slow and gradual process. And I strongly believe we are heading in the right direction. Thank you, Sham. I have a note here in the chat uh, from Aaron to you. Can you add on augmented reality? Can you touch on that for a moment, Sham? Yeah, so aging of workforce, that's a real issue in many countries. And augmented reality is being used for on-the-job training. Uh, I. We, I was working with a major truck manufacturer in North America. Uh, every time a new model comes, uh, it's not easy for them to take their engineers or uh, mechanics out of the factory and put them in a classroom to train them about the, the new uh, product. Whereas through augmented reality, they are provided guidance on the job and that has helped to improve productivity to a great extent. So many of the emerging technologies will help in this process where um, the sensor data and some of the emerging technologies such as AR, VR will help to increase the productivity in the manufacturing space. Thank you very much. Aaron, does that uh, touch on what you wanted him to cover? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the fascinating things about IoT is 
it's showing kind of the complexity of society. Basically, there's too much change. There's too much innovation. We're not able to deal with it. Shan touched on it uh, in a truck manufacturer, but it's pervasive. We don't know how to service anything. Uh, we we're dealing. We know to deal with a subset of things, and they tend to be technical laggards rather than technical leaders. And until we get robots that just do everything for us, we're going to move into a world where cars start driving themselves partially, where, where things will tell us how to fix themselves and stuff like that. And that's going to be kind of the consumerization and the lead of IoT in many, many places. Thank you, Aaron. And, and you go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Okay. I wanted to move on to a statement from Gerard's list. Gerard, we've covered some of what you showed me in your notes here, but uh, I'd like to go with statement number one. I think this will be very instructive to our audience to say we are walking data emitters. And we have real intelligence, not artificial. Our vital signs emit data, such as heart rate. We measure how many steps we take. What is our oxygen saturation rate? What is the sugar level in our blood? We sense reason and adapt to circumstances around us. And this is where machines lag behind. And Aaron touched on this a little bit. But Gerard, why don't you expand this in your own words? And uh, you can even get into how hard it is to train your Roomba in a, an autonomous self-driving car. Go ahead. Go ahead, Gerard. Uh, uh, <clears throat> look, I, uh, particularly during this COVID thing, I had a lot of interaction with my doctor friends and so forth. And um, it was interesting how they struggled. It was very instructive how medical professionals are so backward in picking up data. And we guys are giving out a lot of data. And it's up to the medical profession to harness that data, reduce their working hours, and get more efficient on, on what they do on telemedicine, right? Uh, the medical industry, I think, still is touch and feel, though that has largely gone away. And I'll tell you why. I have a kinesiologist that I see sometimes, sadly, she relocated to Florida. He would touch my chest and say, huh, you had some sugar last night. <laughs> None of the other doctors could do this, right? But doctors, uh, and then I have a new naturopath who's very evidence-driven, data-driven. And he is, is very rigorous in his test, and then he's very intelligent about that kind of test. So our body is more complex uh, than, than we think it is. Just eating less doesn't reduce my weight at least. Uh, it's so tricky, and I think doctors as they get on with new types of disease, as you've seen in the last six months, are going to turn to a lot of IoT devices and a whole bunch of stuff to the thing. But ultimately, I don't know whether it's going to be the final diagnosis has to come from the doctor. And I think they may be falling behind. Maybe automation is dulling their instincts on touch and feel diagnosis that I had as a kid growing up elsewhere. So it's a very interesting time. Today I was uh, listening to something on Alexa. Uh, they're using dogs to smell the sweat on a person uh, to see whether dogs can uh, detect COVID, just smelling the sweat. It is not going to replace the test, but it's a starting point. So the more information doctors have, uh, it's great. I hope they don't lose common sense and diagnosis. And sometimes I feel the medical profession is just 
they prescribe a bunch of guests so that they test so that uh, insulated from lawsuits they follow the protocols and earn some points for vacations too but i think data would be an asset a uh, lot of my doctors that i consult uh, as friends they have gone big into telemedicine and so forth and i think that trend is going to continue because this scarcity of doctors in so many parts of even in an advanced country like uh, the usa those are my comments Thank you. Very, very interesting take. Let's go around the table. Sham, you're sitting next to Gerard on our virtual roundtable. Why don't you comment on what he said? Agree or disagree or just add something? Go ahead, Sham. Yeah, I, I agree with Gerard that data will be used to augment the knowledge of physicians. Uh, today, when we go to the doctor once a month, once in six months, uh, the interview between us and the doctor is based on our recollection our perception of the problem and the doctor has to rely on that unless he or she um, asks for tests which can uh, measure the situation at on the day of the test not when we had the discomfort so to bridge that gap the sensors and a lot of these sensors are now becoming consumer grade many are becoming part of smartphones some are easy add-ons to the smartphone so these will help to augment their knowledge and help them make better decisions one of my friends is a pulmonary specialist now he cannot see his patients but his some of his patients send them their uh, pulse oximeter information so now that's a great substitute uh, gerard you said somebody touches your chest to feel or, or doctors use stethoscope now there are digital stethoscope which can help to uh, make up for that so i think wearables which will be which, uh, which will allow us to easily capture the data again we have the data exhaust problem over time we will learn what is relevant when we continuously monitor things uh, and uh, what is noise but that's where the doctor's um, exp expertise comes in but if we as patients allow uh, or or as healthy humans allow information to be collected and shared with our permission with our uh, with our physicians then it gives them a wealth of information and over time with their expertise and ai i call it semi supervised learning these models will evolve so this is a good use of again modeling a human through digital twin collecting information around the human and uh, developing the model let the models evolve so that doctors can use it to augment uh, their, their uh, with with their real world expertise thank you very much um aaron going around the table to you what do you think so i i love chance topic first of all i mean so telemedicine is a wonderful uh, way of looking at the iot and so wonderful way of looking at how iot how data in general but iot as an example of data is a reflection of our current reality and i don't want to get into politics but point of fact is our ability to do telemedicine is directly tied to our trust network within IoT and that's a fascinating thing and in Sham's example a doctor could do an experiment on Sham's digital twin and check whether this drug would help or hurt and so on and so forth and if uh, you know in places 
uh, first of all, we're going to see it happen in places where there's better trust in the political environment and better trust in society. But it's going to come to us soon, and we're going to see areas where medicine becomes basically the best of, and we're going to have the best diagnostician, the best pulmonologist is going to have their stuff stuck into a metaphor, into an AI bot that's going to do work against our digital twins or our uh, IoT data, and it's going to come up with something that's more effective. And basically, we have too much information for people to deal with, and doctors can't understand what's going on, and Sham's giving some examples, but sooner or later, we're going to take that data exhaust and turn it into value, and that's going to be something that we're all going to be excited about. Interesting. Interesting how we've veered into the healthcare and telemedicine realm, which is so important. And I know people around the world are curious about this. Um, Gerard, I was intrigued when you said your doctor can touch your chest and say you had too much sugar yesterday. How was that possible? Was that a, a device or what, what, how was that diagnosis made? I don't know. That's the mystery. Right? <laughs> Just like acupuncture to me is a super science. Kinesiology was fascinating to me and I would try to kind of throw the doctor off and the truth I'll tell you a true story I went to a Lebanese restaurant that I've taken air into and at the end of the meal they give you a couple of dates which are baked in the oven and it's not a bowl of ice cream that I would feel or remember the next day it was a couple of dates that was a Friday night Saturday morning I used to go to the skinsiologist and then she touched me and says, oh, thyroid is okay, this is adrenal is okay, blah, blah, blah. Then she says, but you had a little sugar tonight, last night. Did you party? I said, I didn't party. I just went to, the, what did you eat? And then, she, lo and behold, she said, you ate something sugary. And then she it says, you had a couple of dates last night, didn't you? I don't know how the hell she feels. She's a real spooky. This is a practitioner with 35 years of experience. And I want... And I hope my Western doctors learn that. To me, kinesiology has always fascinated me that muscle vibration and other things in the body can predict. And so far, they've been spot on. I would love to take air into my kinesiologist, but she's in Florida. Gerard, I have a feeling she was at the restaurant sitting across the room from oh. you. And she oh. saw you being served the dates because it's so oh. specific. How would she it's have too known too that? Specific. It was too specific for my liking. Uh, yeah, must have hacked your IoT devices. I know. <laughs> she she saw I, exactly when that, and, and, and she's probably saying dates, natural sugar, better than ice cream. There we go. Uh, Sham, we're, we're almost out of time, but Sham, we're going to go to predictions in just a second. Sham, you, you intrigued me when you said that digital twin, a doctor might be able to find out the impact of a particular drug on the patient through the digital twin rather than saying, oh, try this new drug and we'll see what the side effects are or we'll see see what the byproducts are and see how sick you get or don't get and, and use you as a, as a human guinea pig, basically. Is this being used already, Shab? Just brief answer. Well, precision medicine has been talked about for a long time where you look at individual's uh, variability and one way to capture that individual's variability is through digital twins. So uh, it's, it's still an emerging area, but I think uh, from science and technology perspective, we have the framework to enable our doctors to do that. 
Thank you. And Sean, while I have you here, it is time for the crystal ball predictions round. We're just about out of time. So Sean, 60 seconds. What do you see coming up the road, down the pike, up the pike, down whatever direction you're looking? I hope it's an optimistic one. Data quakes, data exhaust, big data, bigger, bigger, bigger data, petabytes, databytes, everything bites. What do you see between now and let's not even go the end of 2020. Let's go out as far as 2025, if you like. 60 seconds predictions, Sean Vinath at Oracle, go. I think the topic we discussed today about big data, data exhaust in context of humans has the power to enable the next round of digital transformation in healthcare. And last few months have shown that there is a gap, our medical technology is lagging what the nature has thrown at us. So I think over this, especially in 2020, we will be laying the foundation for the next digital transformation of medicine and healthcare. Thank you. Aaron Werman, you're up next. 60 seconds, barely. Veet, veet, as the French say. Quick, quick. Okay, so basically my, my take is, first of all, IoT is going to change everything. That basically we're going to see in the next five years those companies that succeed at IoT or those companies that succeed in general. We're going to see the start with companies that have direct control of devices, manufacturing, distribution, other things where they have direct contact. But it's going to break half of the companies on the Fortune 500, and it's going to create uh, uh, 250 new ones. Look for that. Thank you very much. Oh, you heard it all here. There we go. We'll, we'll get back to you on that one, Aaron. Gerard Das, you're up 60 seconds. What do you see in the future? Go ahead, Gerard. I think we are going to be in a big big struggle against climate change, and I see a lot of technology being applied to it. Uh, COVID has kind of cut down on exhaust emissions and so forth, and I hope uh, the exhaust emissions are, are here to stay. People are discovering known ways to communicate, to work, less airlines. So I think we are in for a change among industries. Uh, the usual industries will go away, new industries, and we are in for a huge change, driven by things like COVID, driven by the advances we have seen in computing. And hopefully we'll control the thing because, Erin, this has been like a desert uh, here. It's been 194, 96 degrees. It's been tremendously hot uh, here. And I think, uh, I think technology should be applied very quickly to control it. Otherwise, we might as well all go live in Arizona. Thank you very much, everyone. Appreciate all of you being here. And a special shout out to Dana Corder at SAP for assembling this wonderfully, very smart, savvy, insightful, and conversational panel. And I want to thank Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at Voice. We have another Aaron, 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 Aaron. There we go. I didn't confuse the two of you. And a thank you to Ira Burke at SAP for sponsoring the series Seven Seasons. Wow, this is our second longest running series. And I want to say to my shout out to my call to action, Fasten your seatbelt. My car is still getting three months to the gallon. I hope yours is doing just as well. Go out and be a game changer today. I made Gerard smile. That was my goal today is to make you smile. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Sham V. Noth at Oracle, just like Aaron Werman at TechWave, and just like Gerard Das at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave. Have a great day. Be safe. Be smart. Wear a mask. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. 
To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 